Please be advised that this episode may contain strong language and spoilers. We've never done this before and maybe we should have, so shame on us. But just before you listen to this episode, we want to let you know that we do discuss the threat of violence, rape and sexual assault. So if you think it would be better for you to skip this episode, please do. We'll see you next time. Hello and welcome to What The Forks, a podcast in which we revisit a teenage obsession, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga. We're still finding out if our love for this series will shine eternal or crumble to ash under close inspection. I'm Chloe. And I'm Isaac. And in this episode, we're talking about chapter eight of the novel Life and Death, Twilight Reimagined. So basically... I've got a cat now. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing to talk about but Graham. Yeah, Mr. G. Mr. G. We've been waiting for Graham since episode three. Yeah. I mean, you will probably hear him throughout my recordings because he's going, because no one's giving him any love. He's outside my door. So he um, is a man who needs me and it's uh, very fulfilling. <laughs> Wow. It's incredibly fulfilling. Honestly, I hated cats. And I think it's the same with children. Like, I don't like other people's children, but I really want my own. I hate other cats, but I love my own cat. And how long have you had him? (laughs) Three days. Three days. Three days, but he arrived in his little cage and he was so shy and I just immediately fell in love. What did that process look like in lockdown? You were connected to the Cat Society, but he wasn't from the Cat Society. So basically the RSPCA rang us and said, we have a cat who needs to be adopted. He's been in the vets for three weeks, but they said, what's your preference? And I said, I I hate to sound picky. Like we will honestly take whatever cat you have, but we really wanted a black cat. And this lovely girl from the RSPCA was like, oh my God, that's so good to hear because it takes like 36 days longer to get a black cat adopted than any other cat because people are so superstitious and they don't want one. I didn't think that would really be a thing. Apparently so. And I said, we'll take them all. (laughs) (laughs) No, I am still allergic. I've had like red eyes and rashes come up. Someone from the RSPCA came with him and in a cage and it was covered so you couldn't really see him. And she put him down at our door and then we came to the door to pick him up. Okay. Um, and we chatted a little bit over, she was on the street, we were at the doorway, just saying that he's on some food, he hasn't pooped in three days. <gasps> oh. I know. Um, but he has now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm now a mother. <laughs> It's funny though, because what's happened is our last episode you were talking about Keanu's Instagram. Oh, yes, I've seen already. Yeah, so that's how it wasn't me. It wasn't you. It wasn't me. Okay. I was completely supportive of everything you had to say about pet Instagrams (laughs) and it's in the first person and I can't stop it and it's happened. Who is running Graham's Instagram? Rosie. Rosie. I don't know Rosie well enough to tell her off so (laughs) if you're listening Rosie just please for the love of God spell everything correctly. I mean if anyone knows how to spell it's Graham. He's a man of the world. He is a man of the world. He's seen things. I'm so happy. Me too. I can't believe I love him so much. And he's a great addition to our family. And And especially considering your allergies, it's great to hear that A, your allergies aren't that bad, but also that they've not gotten the way of the love. Exactly. The love is greater than my inconvenience. (laughs) (laughs) This chapter. I don't know how I feel about this chapter. 
So let's go through the plot and... We'll find out together. The plot of chapter eight, Poor Angeles. Bo, funnily enough, goes to Port Angeles with Jeremy and Alan. Bo leaves the guys after they've bought some corsages to go looking for a bookstore and he says he'll meet them back at the cinema. Bo gets lost and finds himself turning down the wrong alleyway. The couple he bumped into at the airport when he first arrived at Forks go after Bo and this time the man of the couple has a gun. Bo is being held at gunpoint when Edith comes in to save the day with her shiny Volvo. With her shiny Volvo. (laughs) Edith is furious and tries to leave Bo in the car but he won't let her. They drive off. Edith drives Bo back to Jeremy and Alan at the cinema. Edith and Bo ditch them and go for dinner. Once settled at the restaurant, Bo and Edith start discussing the elephant in the room. Bo seems to know that Edith can read minds, but not his. They discuss how Bo is a magnet for trouble. Edith confesses that she wanted to kill Bo when she first met him. They leave the restaurant and get into Edith's car and we presume they are heading back to Forks. There it is. There it is. I'm going to be honest, I was nervous about your plot because you've been texting me this week saying, Jesus Christ, this chapter is so long. How am I ever going to get through? I have to say, so I read it yesterday, but I didn't find it overly long. Maybe it was my mood. We cover quite a lot in terms of content and also this chapter, maybe more so than any others, we've got at least three distinct locations florist with the lads you've got beau roaming the streets of port angeles and and the side alley yeah yeah and then the italian restaurant three real sections we've got beau with his friends beau in trouble and beau with edith yeah all three of these could i suppose have been separate chapters i mean that would be a bit much see what i thought was that it could have been edited more where you don't need the whole scene in the florist you don't need uh, Bo roaming around for so long and you can you can have them stay in the restaurant for the end of the chapter and then the, the start of the next chapter them going into the car when i looked at it again this morning i do think it all has value i think that all scenes have quite interesting points but you are right it does seem like a lot to cover i thought for quite a lengthy chapter it was a bit lackluster okay it didn't hit the marks i was expecting So let's start from the beginning. Yeah, let's start. Just so that everyone's aware, it's still Tuesday the 15th of March, 2005. (laughs) Just want to get that out of the way. Thank God. It is that date for the entire chapter, so we don't need to mention it again. I told you everything happens on a Tuesday. I told you. Um, I just wanted to ask you, at the very start of the chapter, what the fuck is a glossy woman? Chloe, I'm so glad you asked. I wanted to ask you the exact same thing. <laughs> what does a glossy woman mean? Does it mean snazzy? Fancy? I don't know. They go to the florist first, where the glossy woman behind the counter quickly upsold Alan from roses to orchids. <laughs> the glossy woman. I picture, are you, do you know the drag queen from Drag Race, Pheromone? Yeah! With the overabundance of highlights. Wow! That's not glossy. Like shiny. Shiny. Like lip gloss plus a load of highlighter. Yeah. You know, probably a synthetic wig. (laughs) To just give that shine. She's probably wearing vinyl. She probably is wearing vinyl. So everything is kind of glossy. Wow. Glossy has kind of connotations 
of wet, don't you? Like, there's something, not wet, but there's something moist. Sheen. It has a sheen to it. Slick. <laughs> like Vaseline. Oh! Like the gel. Baby oil. Baby, maybe. Yeah, she's smothered in baby oil. She's sliding all over the place. She's been oiled. <laughs> so what happened is, it's not she's trying to upsell the roses. She slipped and got orchids instead. <laughs> This very oily woman, such a slippery florist. She's just sliding around. You're like Jeremy's anticlimactic white flowers and white ribbon is the only thing she could grab. Because she's just so greasy. Oh no. There you hear it, folks. That's what a glassy woman does. My ribs. Can you imagine just. Oh, you know Clemmy. She's the glossy woman. <laughs> it almost sounds like a euphemism, doesn't it? Chloe from down the road. Mm, I've heard she's a glossy woman. Yeah, she's got a lot of gloss to her. <laughs> so here is where we get the conversation. It's This chapter is so far the most different from Twilight. Like, unrecognisable. In Twilight, we've got the big, long conversation going through. We've got the descriptions of Jess's rhinestone jewellery and silver shoes to go with her blue dress. Like... It's because there was no glossy woman there to help them. All they had was Bella and her shitty advice. Yeah, exactly. So the only little snippet we get that's similar is Bo asking Alan about the Cullens, and it's a very, very short exchange. And that made me a little bit sad because it was the similar exchange between Angela and Bella that first made me think that Bella and Angela, or at least that Angela had quite a crush on Bella. Mm, yes, I remember. Because Angela, we've not even mentioned, I don't think, who Alan is going with. Alan, we assume, is going with Erica because Angela was going with Eric. But she's not that interested in Eric. Like, because Jess is going on and on about going with Mike and their first date. We don't even get, like, a debrief on their date. And you think, come on, Jeremy would yeah. be boasting about it. Yeah. In Twilight, Jess has started saying that on their next date, she thinks they'll be heading up to the first kiss stage oh my we got none of that here but yeah angela's not that interested in eric but she's excited to be going to the dance and that's where i was like oh angela <laughs> i'm getting homosexual vibes all we get here is that Bo says alan was probably the nicest kid at forks high because he answered Bo's question yeah it doesn't take much for Bo. <laughs> But I do think there's still a bit of a crush there. Aww. It's tenuous, but I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to look for it. So Boga's walking around and stumbles upon a spiritual shop. Why this choice? If you don't think he's a witch, Maya. Oh my mm. god. I didn't even make that connection in Twilight, I don't think. And in Twilight, I was hardcore, like, Bella's a witch, Bella's a witch, Bella's a witch. But I'm like, why? If you don't think he's a witch, if you're not going to even delve into it, why? Oh, I stumbled upon a spiritual shop with crystals. And I'm like, yes, it's the power, it's the force. Go in. So Bo is lost, he can't find what he's looking for, and he stumbles upon a side alley where there are dumpsters. He sees six people. Now, he says, they're shoving their hands in their pockets, and I had an impression that they were hiding the things they'd been holding. Like, obviously! I think it's a drug deal, is my impression. What do you think? I wanted to ask you the same thing, actually. I don't know. This is really wildly different from Twilight. Mm, mm -hmm. Just as a reminder for everyone, so in Twilight, it's four men 
rather than six people four men two women they split into two pairs and heard bella to ambush her they don't have any weapons no it's really intimidating it's really dark i reread it It just this morning it's horrible it's a horrible horrible scene because we understand that there could have been a possible rape there and that is terrifying. She gets her purse ready and thinks about dropping it. And she has the thought, what if they are something worse than thieves? Yeah. It's funny, I remember us talking about this when we discussed New Moon, but maybe not so much when we talked about Twilight. It's a very specific depiction of the experience of women walking alone. Yeah. The fear, the anxiety. When Bella notices two men following she says about 20 feet behind her. They don't move any closer to her. They just keep that distance. And she actually has the thought, oh, maybe they realise they scared me and they're sorry. It's, we're very aware. And these days, I think even more so, I hope we should be. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of men out there that still don't get it. They have no idea that this is what women have to think about every single day. It's funny that we should come across this topic because I was just having this conversation yesterday because a friend of mine is kind of back at work, sort of, and she has to work at a pub and they're doing takeaway beer. Now, obviously, it's getting lighter, but at, like, nine o'clock, it's still getting dark and it's a horrible, horrible walk home. Um, And I said, well, your bosses, who are men, should be paying for an Uber for you or should escort you or drive you back home because it's not that far from where we live but as a walk it's not very nice and being in quarantine or lockdown as a woman you kind of start to forget the dangers of what it is to be outside and then when real life comes back you're like oh god I've got to rethink about and then today she said oh it's really because it's really warm at the minute I think I might have to wear shorts for work like what do you think Mm. and I'm like it's so unfair that it's horrible that that has to be a discussion a question yeah Yeah. fuck it fuck it all (laughs) and this is where i'm speaking from the position of privilege here it's not something that i have to think about really and we're going to discuss that in the context of this book when suddenly our protagonist is a man there have to be different circumstances in order for me as a man to feel that but for you that's a burden that you carry with you every time you leave the house every time i leave the house no no this is what i'm saying it's like okay i don't have to think about it because i'm safe at home but now again When I have to leave the house for work, for meeting friends, when I am alone, I have to think about these things. I still have to think about it when I'm with alone with female friends. I don't think about it as much. I still think about it, but I don't think about it as much if I'm with a male friend. Wow. Yeah. But it's it's something you have to think about in the back of your head, especially if you're alone, even in daylight. So well, I think another thing that kind of bothered me about this chapter, because it's gender reversed. So I'm like, okay, so we had a potential rape situation in twilight i still remember like the first time i ever read that being terrified because it's a very relatable issue especially being very young and alone and not knowing where you're going and not having anyone near you it is terrifying and i got a little bit annoyed that for the gender reversed version here with Bo, that the only thing that we can compare that to is if we hold him at gunpoint yes I had this same thought as well. And here's where I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah, I am the same. I don't know if it comes in any other way, but my copy of Life and Death is the double edition. So you've got Twilight and you flip it over. They are two texts that are kind of inevitably going to be put side by side. Yeah, of course. So just by having that difference in a way that is a comment on what we need to do in order to put a man in danger versus the men 
then in Twilight, they said hi to her and they, I mean, it was very physically intimidating, Mm -hmm. but we didn't actually get any real physical threat. We didn't get... But that's because as a woman, you don't need them to say anything. It's very clear what is going on, what is happening. Because he is the weapon. Exactly. Whereas here, I was like, so his thing has to be with a gun? And I remember, like, so I'm reading it. So I read it a couple of days ago, this chapter. And I was like, shit, a gun? A gun? I know, I was really shocked as well. But then I think, okay, we are English. We are privileged with the fact that we don't have gun violence here. I mean, we do. It's a very small percentage, though. We have more knife crime. But still, I don't believe our knife crime is comparable to the amount of gun violence in the US. It's not. Still high. Still too high. You know, any any knife crime, any gun violence, too Too high. high. But I just thought, God, yeah, this is another reality of America that anyone in the street can have a gun. So, So my problem with this section is so it's like the equivalent of rape is gun Mm -hmm. and that's not fair because the equivalent of rape is rape it's to be honest it's just all horrendous i just really didn't like this bit i mean you're not supposed to like it anyway but i just i just don't know how i'm supposed to feel about it i don't appreciate that it was gunpoint they could have cornered an enemy anyway and beaten him up i suppose the question we're both asking is did this section need to be changed something about including women in the gang i suppose is to do with the gender swap that we need to be able to have a female face of it maybe and the fact that she put the couple right at the beginning yeah what do you make of that i'll tell you what i make of that lazy writing Is it? No. Now, we got, I don't think we is, can call that. It is lazy. It's like, oh, well, I put those two there, so might as well bring them back so they're a bit random. Ah, now, do you think it happened like that? Or do you think she wrote this chapter and then went back and inserted them? That's how I imagine it working. I don't know. I don't know. Also, when we get the brief discussion we get about this later, Edith says that she heard what she was going to do. That left massive question marks in the air for me because what do you mean what she was going to do? She wasn't holding a gun. But she might have been carrying one. She might have been carrying one. But the immediate threat, and I know that Edith has access to more information, but I just... if So if we're going to go here and we're going to do this gender swap in order for it to be a woman posing a threat to this young man, she needs a gun, but she doesn't even have the gun. But maybe she would give the orders. I maybe, don't know. But I was just a little bit like, give her the gun. <laughs> yeah. Have her yeah. point the gun. <laughs> give her the gun. Give her the gun. Edith comes to the rescue with her shiny vulva. She is a tough lady. She's in killer mode and she's pissed. And uh, I like this angry Edith. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I mean, I didn't enjoy it with Edward because I was like, calm down, bro. But hey, it's cool. It's just cool she's got her teeth clenched the only thing i don't like about it and it's not her fault because we're reading this from Bo's perspective is that he gets the sense of relief when she's there to rescue him but then he's flooded with a new sense of panic what if she got hurt Bo. i know sit down i know and i'm like you already know you have all the answers you already know she's fine but i mean i agree like don't let edith do her thing fine fine <laughs> don't let her go and kill him i'm just thinking if she kills them blood and then Bo's gonna be nearby and she's gonna be in vampire mode and it's quite hard for her to be around him because of his sweet sweet nectar Bo apologises a lot in this chapter. He does. And it really bothers me. Really? Because I find it a little erotic. Ah! 
I just love a man who's sorry. No, because he doesn't mean anything. No, it doesn't. His sorries are silly. They're light and fluffy. Just like whipped eggs. Don't whip my eggs. <laughs> Into a big, fluffy, gluten-free apology. Mm-hmm. That's exactly... That's You know, you're usually very bad with analogies, but that's a very good analogy for his apologies. I like it. Thank you. Meringues. Meringue apologies is what he's got. Yeah, it crumbles like a meringue. I don't want an eaten mess. I want a tough brownie. Devil's food cake. Yeah, ooh. Oh yeah. Um, so then she drives. She makes a dramatic U-turn and drives back to the cinema. And I just love the effect that she has on Alan and Jeremy. This hypnotic effect with her dimples. I I do love it. Yeah, I like them becoming pools. I do have a bit of an issue with it, just because that doesn't happen. Surely. But it happens with Edward. No. Jessica and, and Angela no. were like, oh, okay. They blink and they're maybe a little bit breathless and they're like, yeah, sure, do whatever you want. Jeremy's mouth literally falling open. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anyone's mouth just fall open. Mm. It's just so cartoonish. Well, I mean, Jeremy's a doofus, isn't he? So. I have a question for you, Chloe. Alan says, oh, hi, Edith. He had some trouble saying her name. <laughs> She's still sat in the car, being very cool. And Bo says here, she waved at him with two fingers and he swallowed loudly. How do you wave at someone with two fingers? <laughs> well, if your hands are on the steering wheel, does it go, hey? So you're doing... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so just to describe, you're miming your hands at like a 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. And then the two... So my index finger and my middle finger on my, on my right are going up. They're just flicking up, like a salute, but without leaving the steering wheel. Yeah, just like, I see you. Okay, I can picture that. Because in my mind, I had like one hand doing like half an air quote symbol. (laughs) (laughs) Almost like in The Shining, but with two fingers, like, Danny isn't here, Mrs. Torrance. Either that, or we use the index fingers on two individual oh hands. Hi. <laughs> maybe they don't need to go in sequence. Maybe they can go. <laughs> She's doing a little dance. Almost like a Saturday Night Fever kind of. Woo. Yeah, but with just your index finger. Either that or like waving with two fingers. I did imagine her like flipping in the bird with two hands. We use that a lot in England, the two fingers. Like, fuck you. Right, two fingers on one hand, like a reversed peace sign. Yeah, like, fuck you, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you say hi to me? (laughs) It was just interesting, an interesting description. I needed more information, waving with two fingers. like Yeah, why this choice? Hey, Alan, remember these? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. (laughs) So they go to an Italian restaurant. He has a problem with the front of house guy saying mademoiselle, which is French, rather than signora, which is Italian. But why does that bother him? Because they're an Italian restaurant? Yes. Oh, but that's silly. Oh my God. Okay, so, so I'm going to have to say it now, Chloe. This is one of my favourite parts. Oh, no! Yeah. So this, okay, so this maitre d' character, I yeah. actually really enjoyed. Bo ruins it. But I did find, of course, a... Uh, Mademoiselle. Yeah. Because the maitre d' has just, like, searched his mind. He's trying to be impressive, trying to be fancy, and has called her any foreign language term for (laughs) miss to try and seem fancy and romantic, ignoring the fact that he works in an Italian restaurant and he doesn't actually know how to greet a woman in Italian. The problem is, the joke is not funny when you do what I've just done, which is explain it, which is also what No, but I found it funny. No, I found it funny you telling it. Because I'm like, oh, okay, I see. He's flummoxed. Yeah. 
it wasn't made clear. Whereas I just thought Bo was being a dick. I'm like, come on, man. Does it matter? Whereas as I read it, of course, uh, Mademoiselle grabs two leather folders and gestures for Edith to follow. I laughed at that point. And then Bo says, I rolled my eyes. Signora was probably what he'd been looking for. And immediately there, I was like, this was funny before the explanation. And then he has a problem with the lady scarf. <laughs> no one knows how a scarf works. <laughs> Why doesn't nobody know how a scarf works, Chloe? I don't understand. I mean, to be fair, Edith does seem to know how a scarf works. For a start, she's wearing one. Yeah. So a scarf, for anyone not familiar, <laughs> I don't want to be judgmental because Bo literally says, I'd never worn a scarf that I could remember, which I was like, wow. But then, of course, remembering we grew Phoenix, up here, yeah. we grew up in Phoenix. Fine. A scarf is a strip of fabric, usually made out of wool or something to imitate wool, uh, but could be made out of anything. You get a lighter scarf out of a silk, uh, usually more of a fashion statement, but it is a uh, a long rectangle. If you imagine a piece of tagliatelle. Yeah. <laughs> you just wrap it round. There are different ways of wrapping it round, but it doesn't matter. You just wrap it round your neck. But you do not need to begin at one end and wrap repeatedly <laughs> around your neck. <laughs> What is this scarf? I like that she calls him out on him perhaps being uncomfortable with a lady scarf. I don't like... The term lady scarf? Scarves, like all clothing, can go on any body. Literally any human body. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're doing the equivalent here is a jacket. In Twilight, Edward gives Bella his jacket. So here we've got a scarf, maybe the least gendered item of clothing I can think of. And yet we have the term lady scarf. And we still, in order for him to put it on, he needs to be told that it was from a man's wardrobe. It is a scarf. You're cold, put it on. He's not with it. He's not the sharpest tool. No. But to be honest, like all men in this book, there's a lot of it that makes me very happy because it's nice to see women being treated better in fiction. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why we get excited. But we are rapidly approaching a point where I'm going to start to be like, this is doing a disservice to men. Yeah. Not all men can be stupid. Particularly our protagonist, who we're supposed to be able to relate to, and he's starting to just look a little too dim. Yeah. He's just reaching the top of the pathetic mountain. Yeah, the air's getting a little thin up here. I'm a little bit worried that uh, it's going to get a worse before it gets better mm. i want to say that we do a lot of praising of edith and we have pointed it out once before already that gaslighting is still gaslighting here i want to say like bella was not bothered Bo is not bothered that edith is following him he should be bothered yeah it's yeah, yeah. still not cool there is an invasion of privacy going on here and then i i don't know if you have anything else to say but at the end when they're leaving do you have anything else to say before they leave no, no. we've got the exact same point she insists on paying for the meal Good and girl. he does like that oh no please let me pay and she's like no and then he's making a real effort to get up and get the door for her to the restaurant and the car and what does she tell him chloe she says try not to get caught up in antiquated gender roles and i've just made a little note by that line in my book that reads ah! <laughs> i know i went oh no <laughs> it's so good that she pays and is sick of his toxic masculinity <laughs> but oh i don't know so this line i was so excited to read but also i'm like it's just 
I hope he's just being polite. What frustrated me about the line was that it made me so happy, but at the same time, I was like, this entire book and the entire saga has been built on antiquated gender roles. I thought looking at it, I'm like, that doesn't fit. It looks like, even where it's placed on the page, I was like, it doesn't fit, does it? Also, he then ignores her. Well, yeah. If I wanted to give it more credit than it's worth, then I would say that it's an illustration of the way that you can't just in one line undo years of toxic programming within the patriarchy, and that Beau will continue to work on himself and she will continue to help him grow to overcome the boundaries that the patriarchy have put on him about what is expected of him in order to be a man. But I don't think that's what's happening. But we have to say that we're happy to see it. Yeah, but I'll be happy to see it if it doesn't take any effect. Well, let's see. He is but young. I mean, we've been going chapter by chapter. At some point, we're going to have to step back and look at the whole book and say, what is this book saying to us? Mm, Yeah. Maybe this book is going to be a journey of a young boy learning how to escape the binds put on him by the patriarchy. Oh my God, is the Twilight Saga telling us? Because this happens with Bella, that the only way a woman or person can escape the patriarchy is to become the undead. Because we loved Bella the minute she was a vampire. But... Had she escaped the patriarchy? She had. Had she? She had, because she was her own boss and she was the one calling the shots and she had her own power and Edward wasn't as much of a dick. She only had her own power while she had the surname Cullen. She only had power with that Jay Jenks guy as Mrs. Cullen. Yes, she was powerful because she was a killing machine. And yeah, she came into her own power, but it all happened through this weird ritual of marriage, virginity loss, birth. Oh, we're getting into all the heavy shit that comes in Breaking Dawn, but... You've just really upset me. Oh, I'm sorry. It's been an upsetting <laughs> chapter. It, it really has. has. It really has. So I'm really grateful for a glossy woman to be thrown into this. <laughs> Thank God for the glossy woman. And, uh, we had a highlight earlier around. So other than the glossy woman, what's your favourite part? Um, the glossy woman. Oh shit, really? Is that what you'd written? No, just now, because I didn't know the glossy woman was as fabulous as this until we just recorded, but I think this chapter for me, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. Um, I still love Edith, but I was a bit like, eh, it was very lacklustre, so the glossy woman wins. Okay. Yeah, what's your best bit? I feel a bit silly saying now, but the jokes that landed were my favourite part. The Major D, I thought it was really funny. He called her Mademoiselle. It was funny until it was explained, or at least I thought it was. Maybe it was just me. But then also he seats them at the table and walks away with their menus still under <laughs> yes, his arm. That's true. And I thought that was really funny. I thought he was a great comic character. Um, it was funny to laugh at him. What's your worst bit? The gunpoint. The gunpoint. It just makes me very uncomfortable. I think maybe I need to have a little chat to myself what's going on there. But uh... You know what? I'm going to argue that even in fiction, being held at gunpoint should be important and should make you uncomfortable. And actually, maybe it's not you that needs to do the work, but everyone else. That's my mantra. (laughs) (laughs) I feel slightly silly saying it now, but my worst part was the cartoonish nature of the men and their reaction. It did make me laugh. There were lots of bits that made me laugh. So I suppose... 
if my favorite bits are the jokes that landed, my least favorite bits are the jokes that just didn't quite land for me. Yeah, there's nothing worse. Bugging eyes. It started to sound like Looney, like literally like Looney Tunes. And I found that took me out of it a little bit. It doesn't happen like that, even if she is super hypnotic. It is time for the question which burns. So right at the beginning of the chapter wants to get a good book, a good book that will distract him from Edith. What would you recommend by read? Oh, what a good question. Thank you. Right now I'm reading Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chbosky. So that's just popped into my head. It's like a horror thriller kind of novel um it's quite long but do you think with his dreams of vampires and werewolves he needs that right now not judging it's not the most <laughs> helpful i'm gonna be honest it's not actually been the most helpful for me at the moment because there's this malevolent force from the imaginary world that has just now at the point that i'm at is making the whole town sick with a fever and the hospitals oh, are overcrowded and oh, uh, no. everyone's panic buying and I have started to get a bit like, oh, this is close to home. So uh, a good book. Um, I am going to recommend Call Me By Your Name. <gasps> he would learn a few things, wouldn't he? It is the horniest book I've ever read. Yeah, yeah. I just remember going... Oh my. Uh, 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 oh my. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us for chapter eight of Life and Death. Join us next time for chapter nine, Theory. You can find us on social media by searching at ForksCast. And you can rate, review, and subscribe to What the Forks wherever you listen. Until next time, take care, stay at home. And remember, anyone can wear a scarf.